Major Lindsay in Africa presents Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. Okay, welcome to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal profession. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay in Africa. I'm your host, Mark Yakino, and a, a director in our advisory services practice. And today I have a very special guest, Megan O'Neill, who is a former lawyer, a very accomplished former lawyer. She is the owner of MLC Fitness and the CEO of FitGo, and she is knowledgeable in all things wellness. And today we're going to talk about what it means to be healthy um, in a in a in a whole full sense in a, in a more holistic way. Megan, welcome to the podcast. Number one, number two, there's some color in your story with our audience because you have a great story. Thank you. So happy to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. Now, I know that um, your 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 journey into wellness came after you practiced law. Can you share for our listeners a little bit about your your legal career, which was impressive, so they know kind of where you came from before you walked into the world of wellness? Well, I was a law clerk for a while at the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office, which was eye opening to say the least. Um, I grew up in the suburbs, so to you know, live in the city and work in the city and see everything that I saw was just I- incredible. And so I, I went from being a law clerk there to deciding that I wanted to go to law school at night. And I did that for you know three years until I you know, came back to the district attorney's office as an assistant prosecutor. I was there for several years and I did all sorts of cases, anything from you know, it's drug, drug cases to you know, attempted murders. And eventually after a couple of years, I left and I went to a firm where I did civil rights and employment discrimination. But over that time, in, in, in all those years, I was always interested in health and wellness. And it became really interesting to me to see how hard that was once you were in the corporate world and once you were working these crazy hours to kind of fit that back into your life. And, and I became very interested in how do you do that? What's that process like? So after eight years, I guess nine years at my firm, um, when I became pregnant with my first son, I just decided that this was something that I wanted to pursue full time. And you know, I had taught classes before and I had gotten certified in nutrition and I had spoke at seminars about wellness, but it was never my full-time job. And I knew that was my passion. So as much as I actually did enjoy, and I I like to think Excel at trial and litigation, I knew that I had to do something different. Just for a frame of reference, you tried hundreds of cases to verdict by understand your biopack. That's correct. I did. So I, there was not, there was much more trials that actually took place back then than they do now. And, you know, both criminally and civilly. And I was on trial a a great deal of my career. Uh, The DA's office, you're always on trial. Either you're, you're either doing preliminary hearings when you start, or you're actually going to trial almost every day, big and small trials. And then when I progressed to the firm, because I had that trial background from the district attorney's office, 
I kind of just got thrown right into, hey, I mean, I, this is this is true. My first week there, they're like, hey, we have this huge case that's going to trial up in federal court in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We're going to need you to go up and, and handle this whole case. So that was my first week at my at my old law firm. So that, you know, it was trial by fire no matter what there. And I did. I, I handled about I had to be you know over two, three hundred trials overall in my career. Um, and I ended on, on on a very large trial. I ended my career on a very large trial in federal court on a civil rights case. So somewhere between trying that many cases, you managed to get some certifications in nutrition and fitness. How did you squeeze that in? I when I think of something that I want to do, there's really no stopping me. You know, whether it's you know pursuing a, a different avenue in my career, or whether it's a fitness goal or just any kind of goal that I have in life. So I knew that this is what I wanted to do long-term. And as much as my time was constrained back then at the law firm, I knew that I had to fit it in. So, so the, I started uh, slow. What was the impetus between being, you know, a top tier trial lawyer to the sea germinating that you wanted to move into fitness and wellness? Was there like a like a lightning strike moment or was it a gradual realization? What was the, um, what was that moment when you begin to make that mental shift to what, what the next chapter looks like? I'd say there was always a very, you know, strong knocking that I had inside of me or this voice that I had inside of me telling me this is what I wanted to do. But for me, the absolute moment that I knew this is what I had to do was close to the end of my career when I did have this very large case um, that I was on trial. And it was myself from my law firm and different attorneys, probably about four or five other attorneys that were working on my team from other, other firms. And one of them was a 48-year-old attorney, a male that I had worked with for years. I really liked him and everybody really respected him, but he was on the treadmill that everybody else was running constantly when you're you know, in, in litigation and in law in general sometimes. And he did not show up one day and was not like him in the morning. You know, he was at all of our depositions on time, if not early. And we found out later in the day that he had had a heart attack and he passed away. And this was the third attorney that had passed away under 50 between my firm and the other firms that I was working with closely in, in three years prior to that. And it, that was it for me. You know, I looked around and I saw the stress and just general unhappiness, unhealthiness of what was going on. And I literally walked out of court that day and I said, I, I'm opening my own business. That is a, a, an astonishing sort of wake up call, isn't it? When someone you're with one day just is gone the next day and you can see in hindsight, that the stress just was unbearably heavy and, and, and literally broke a person. It, and, and I saw it so much. And it's one of those things where, you know, we all say, you know, without our health, we have nothing, right? It's so cliche. It's, it, we hear it all the time. But truly, without your health, you really have nothing. So the things that we stress out about, and myself included, we all do it is, you know, money or jobs or kids or how are we going to get to this event and this event and all these things rolling around in our heads. 
But at the end of the day, if you're, if you're dead or you have a heart attack or you can't take care of yourself and you, you know, eat yourself or, you know, don't exercise yourself into diabetes or high cholesterol, high blood pressure, none of that matters. So that was very eye-opening for me in the respect of like, this is truly, this saying is absolutely a way of life for me. It's, it's without my health, none of this stuff I'm worrying about matters. And I just decided that was it. I have to do something about this. And I want to help other people follow that same path. Well, you raise an interesting point. And one of the things that I have sort of fixated on in my mind is the concept of attorneys and other high stress professionals not realizing that what they are is intellectual athletes and like physical athletes they need to do the right things to rest recover achieve peak performance at the right time and that has you know lifestyle implications because that's part of that's part of being fit being an intellectual athlete you have to have a certain baseline level of condition conditioning both mentally and physically so, you know, you're, you're, what you're saying about if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. In, in reality, you don't have the foundation to excel over a long period of time at anything, really. Uh, absolutely. And, and that's, that's kind of the piece of the puzzle that I think so many people are missing. It's all or nothing on work, but it's, it's not all or nothing on our health. And health is so much more than just physical health. And there's so many aspects even to physical health. But it's the mental, physical, and emotional health that all tie together in this circle that is so hard for people to close. They do. And you know what? When I reached out to you, it was after you uh, posted on LinkedIn and you had a post that, that really went something to the extent of health is not just physical. We think of health and we associate it with the condition of our body, but it also is the condition of our mind. And that's where, when you and I were prepping, we started talking about the concept of wholeness, which is health beyond the appearance of the body. Before we dig into that, I, wanna, I want you to talk a little bit, because it's been a while since our audience has heard this, and it, and it just is so important, kind of the triangulation between exercise, sleep, and nutrition. Because I think sometimes people will say, I'll do one, but I can't do the others. And I'd like you to kind of take us through your view of how those things sort of interlock and are inter interdependent. Well, and it's funny you say that because a lot of my clients ask me that, whether it's my corporate clients or individual clients, and they're always shocked by my answer in that nutrition is 90% of it. 90% uh, uh, when it comes to exercise, we need it. We have to do it. It does so much for our body, but without nutrition and, and sleep, truly you are wiping out the exercise. So if you are exercising and eating like crap and sleeping like crap, you are wiping out what you've just done in the gym or at home or running. You're, you're negating it. I think what people don't realize is that you can't exercise to eat whatever you want because none of us exercise at a level because we're not professional athletes where we can burn enough calories to compensate for poor diet. We can't outrun the calories we take, most of us, unless we're training at an elite level where we're, we're burning a humongous amount of calories. I mean, if you're on a spinning bike for 
an hour. That's like 460 calories. If you eat like a giant ice cream sundae afterwards, that's like a thousand calories. It just, uh, that's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And you, we, I always say to people, I'm like, you know, we get done. I train people uh, of all different sizes and shapes and every ages. But at the end of each workout, I say to everybody, okay, just so you know, you can eat off this workout. You could be dripping sweat. You could tell me that you're dying here, but you can eat off this workout in a bagel and a super sugary yogurt. So just bear that in mind is, is the nutrition is so key because people don't realize that I train for marathons myself and even training for marathons, you still can't go and eat, you know, three, 4,000 calories a day. We're not all Michael Jordan. We're not training like Michael Jordan. We are not getting up at four and working out the majority of our day. So you're right. You, you can't eat whatever you want and expect an hour workout to just take that off. It doesn't work like that. So let's talk a little bit about nutrition, because I think that it's, it's a complicated topic these days and it's a complicated, it's a complicated landscape to navigate because we're hearing a lot of things, intermittent fasting, take this supplement, take that supplement. You can get your vegetables in a bottle, you know, and, and a chewable and you'll have all your vegetables. Can you give us like, can you level set on like the basics of nutrition and, and, and point out what some of the myths are that sort of take away from good practice? I think that's, you know, you hit it exactly in that there is so much out there and it is so overwhelming. And not only is there so much out there, but it's changing every other week. So if you start back at Atkins, just so interesting, because obviously we all know it, like he passed away of, you know, probably this diet, right? And then we progress on to, there was like South Beach. And then it was, you know, as recent, recent times is, is keto it's always changing and they're not sustainable. These radical diets that people do where you cut out everything, you're not eating any carbs, you're not eating any of this, it, it's not sustainable. So what happens so often is you set yourself up for failure and yes, people lose 30, 40, 50 pounds and then you cannot sustain this for a lifetime so you gain it all back. And it's, it's that much harder to dig yourself out of a hole and eventually people just stop and give up. So what I tell everybody is this, you know, Let's do it moderate. Let's make it so that you can do your nutrition plan and exercise plan for a lifetime. And what I always tell people is you know, there's no reason that you have to cut out everything because eventually you're going to go nuts and you're just going to eat, you know, an entire pizza or a bag of bagels on top of a bag of Hershey bars on top of this, because you can't sustain that by cutting everything out. So what is your view on supplements? Because every other commercial on Instagram with someone drinking some green drink or some mix or on TV, you know, vitamins in a bottle. Um, uh, what, what's your take on that? If, if you haven't been tested, like for, you know, gone through a test and say you have a specific deficiency, what's your take on the whole supplement industry and, and how it's impacted our, our maybe distorted thoughts about what leads to wellness? Again, I, I think it's along the same lines of taking the drugs. It's like anything that people think they can do to get a quick fix, they'll do. I love when my clients get all of their nutrition from food. So all of their vitamins and nutrients, amino acids, complete proteins from food, from real food. 
that being being done, right? uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And doctors, you know, a lot of doctors will now say, hey, look, you don't even need a a vitamin. A daily vitamin is useless. It really is. You're over, you're overdoing it with some things by taking it, get it from food. And I really believe that. That being said, some people are actually deficient and do need supplements. You know, some people have anemia, some people need iron. So of course you have to be monitored that by a medical professional and you may need something. But the problem is that so many people take these things and and the perfect example that was like a big thing on Instagram for last several years was um, vital proteins, collagen powder. So so protein collagen powder, and it makes your skin nice and it makes your hair nice and tons of people are putting it in coffee. It's not that it's necessarily going to hurt you, but what you need to do when you were going to do, do any kind of supplement is you need to research it and you need to actually read studies. Is this company doing studies? What were the studies? How many people are in these studies? And what were the results of these actual studies? Not just we've done studies and, oh, everybody lost weight or everybody has beautiful skin or hair. Because at the end of the day, that's a perfect one in that most uh, collagen supplements are not even absorbed. So you, you, you don't absorb even 5% of them. So it's just like taking in powder that's doing nothing. There is a few that, that, that you absorb more, but you need to research that stuff. So what, is you, what, what do you think, um, and we're going completely off topic from where we, what we prepped for, but I think that's okay, unless you object. Um, what's your thoughts on the rise of Instagram and the, in the culture of influencers? Because you've been in this space a really long time. You've built a really credible business, but now you go on Instagram and you're flooded with people who are trainers and coaches and know all this stuff. And and you know they're 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 really pointing you towards you can't they want you to look like them but most of us couldn't possibly look like them. What how when you get like a new client do you have to sort of strip some of that away like that that sort of influencer mindset that they might have come with just because they've been saturated with it before they got to you I, all the time and. Ranging in age, I work with I work with kids, and I work all the way in the age group up to eighty seven is my oldest client. So I work with clients of all ages, and it's not just you know teenagers who are coming to me and saying, "Oh, I saw this on Instagram. I saw that. I saw that." It's everybody, honestly. It is, and you know all these products that you see that these trainers are putting out there, and and people in nutrition are putting out there. I will tell you that on average you know, and I've been doing this, you know, 20 some years. So I'm on social media just for the business portion of it. And on average, I probably get, uh, I don't know, 42 emails a day when, and direct messages and personal messages saying, you know, I have this great supplement. Would you be an ambassador for us? We're going to send you all this for free. And will you pump this out for us? And will you, and we're going to give you this and that. And, and I probably have ever actually met with them and and actually believed in those products twice. So that is where that is where things really go astray. That people see all this stuff, and a lot of people don't even research it. It's like you know somebody, some trainer on Instagram is saying you could lose all this weight by taking you know a powder or using this and using that. They look great themselves, so then people want to do that. So it really has become a problem, you know, in the last five, six, seven years. Yeah, and I think that. Unfortunately, there aren't enough people that are coming into contact with someone like you that sort of 
brings them back to fundamentals, which is, I think, one of the biggest challenges we face is, is, is disinformation in the fitness industry, just like we see different disinformation in other places. So, so we're always challenged. Now, I want to get back to, um, you know, the reason I reached out to you in the first place is when I saw that wonderful post about health going beyond how your body looks. And I want you to expand on that a little bit because, you know, when you, when you see a post from someone who, who trains people for a living, you kind of expect them to talk about that. And you really talked about so much more than that. And just not even a long post, but but really a meaningful one. And I want I want to I want to get sort of your thinking behind what led you to make that post and the, and the why. You know, I think in the last probably you know even right before pandemic, but especially during during COVID, you know, I give a lot of thought to why everyone and and especially women, but why people in general find it so, you know, almost offensive right, that we're going to do self-care and not self-care like you're out getting a massage or you're getting a manicure or you're going on a trip, but self-care meaning like overall taking care of yourself, not just to look good, but to feel good, to, to do things like lower your cholesterol, not being pre, you know, pre-diabetic, all of this stuff. And it's almost like we've been trained to that somehow that's wrong. We need to take, take care of everybody else first. We need to take care of our family, you know, our kids, our parents, our pets, our uh, you know, you know our, our significant others, but it's like, if you go to take care of yourself in some way, that's very selfish. And in so, fact, it's selfless. A hundred percent, it is selfless because without taking care of yourself, you can take care of no one. So let's talk about that a little bit. Self-care typically gets lumped into meditate, you know, good, good skin regimen, um, all the things that I, I don't meditate, but I do practice assiduous skincare. But that's not the kind of self-care you're talking about. <laughs> this, this is self-care that goes beyond that. So I do like good skincare, Mark. Um, but it's so it's, you know, it's it's all encompassing. And people always think of just exercise. Of course it's exercise. We, we our bodies need that, but you need it not just for physical health and physical appearance but you need that for mental health, emotional health. You, know, you cannot be on this corporate treadmill 24 seven attached to your phone, working all the time, trying to squeeze in everything else that you need to do to take care of everyone else and be in a good headspace. And so often, you know, mental health and emotional health has gotten, you know, that stigma over the years and just got almost kicked to the kick to the curb and it you know it's getting better in the last few years but it's still not where it should be and so a client comes to you and they've obviously recognized they need they need to make some changes but they are in that high state of what i would call overstress, where basically if they put their phone down it triggers anxiety or you know they're they're constantly worried about whether their kids are, you know, doing their homework or, you know, getting to getting to practice and they're trying to juggle work and, you know, their days are just perpetually frenetic. What's your strategy when, when, when someone comes, first of all, what's your general strategy? And then I want to know if you see any differences in 
that sort of overstressed state and have any different strategies based on whether based on gender, whether the men and women process that stuff differently and require different strategies. To that point, yes, uh, very very different ways that men and women sort of process that. I think there's a lot more guilt when it comes to women. You know, I always use the example of you know you never hear someone say, are you working dad? But there's still this stigma around moms who work, which I don't understand. I've never understood that. But I did, I understand the struggle of that. So I know that, you know, for myself, when my kids were little, I would feel bad often, you know, that I, I was working a lot and building a business. And then I started traveling and speaking at companies and feeling bad. And fast forward to now, so this, all parents should take note of this is fast forward to now when my kids are a little older, they're 11 and 14. And especially my oldest one has said, mom, we're, we are, we love seeing this. Like what you have done and transitioning out of the law and opening your own business and helping people get healthy and working to like, to, to achieve a goal is so strong. And it's given me so much. And, you know, the first time he, he wrote that, I, you know, I cried because that was something I always struggle with myself was, am I doing them a disservice by working? Should I be home all the time? And the answer is no. You know, it's the quality time that you spend with your loved ones, not the quantity. They're going to remember that. So put down your phone. That's what I always tell people is if you're worried, a lot of times that is the stress. It's like, I'm not seeing this person. I'm not spending enough time with my kids. I'm like, well, then put down your phone. Let's start with that piece of health. Give yourself some mental breaks and help by putting down your phone for a little bit. What is the worst thing that's going to happen if you put it down for a half hour? or 40 minutes, or put it on do not disturb, nothing. The world's not gonna blow up, nothing's gonna happen. So that's the first thing we work on is like little tiny baby step of how we can, I always ask my clients first thing off, what are the things that stress you out the most? I want you to give me the top three. And then we work backwards as what would happen if you didn't do what you're doing now, meaning the phone, or meaning you have no time to exercise that stresses you out. What would happen if you took a half an hour a day? what would happen? You're telling me you have no time. You know, what would happen? So that's our first session. We don't even work out. That's always our first session. So it's interesting. Um, when you say your top three, are there any frequent flyers in the top three that clients tend to, if you aggregated them all, are there any that almost always pop up in the top three? I would, men, always men and women equally the phone. The phone for work, you know, it's hard to put down. Not even the phone for work, to be honest. I mean, I have clients who, who for career purposes, but personal, they feel like, you know, and, I, and I've been guilty of this and gotten myself out, is that they feel like they need this instant response. Someone text messages you, oh, you were so rude if you don't text back within five minutes, or the person's going to think something's wrong. You didn't respond. And then for work, the same thing. You get an email. The, the thing could be due, you know, just in law terms, you, know, you could have something due to court in a week, but it's like, you get the email, you feel oh, I have to respond immediately. I have to respond. You don't. So you start with little changes, half an hour here, half an hour there. And, you know, you reference like 30 minutes to work out. And I, I, I remember when I used to do triathlons, I read an article years ago in Triathlete Magazine. I think the author was a guy named Dan Empfield, who started one of the original wetsuit companies called Quintana Roo. And he always used to say triathletes have a perfectionist kind of mindset that you need four hours to do a bike ride. But if you only have 30 minutes, ride the bike for 30 minutes. And if you ride the bike 30 minutes later, cumulatively, you're going to get your time. Don't not work out 
because you don't have what you perceive to be the optimal amount of time. You work out in the time you have. Is that a strategy that, that you work on with clients to ease them into fitness? Always. That's always what I say. And I usually start with, you, know, you tell me. I'm going to give you things to do in between our sessions, and you're going to tell me how many minutes that you have that you're going to do that. And a lot of times they'll say, I have no time. Then we look at the calendar and we map out, well, do you really have no time? Let's figure out how many minutes you actually have that you can work out, you know, this coming Tuesday and Thursday or to food shop. It's not just exercise. We go through the whole fitness. How much time do you have to commit to keeping healthy? And I, and they often will say, I, you gave me 40 minutes. I, I didn't do it. I only had 20. I'm like, no, no. Then you work out for 20. You walk for 20. You run for 20. Whatever our plan was, sitting on the couch and not doing anything is not going to get you where you want to be. So if you do 20 minutes instead of 40, that's awesome. That's 20 minutes that you did something that you otherwise would have been sitting down doing nothing. You just said something I didn't even think about, which is not only how much time do you have to exercise, but how much time do you have to do things like food shop? I wouldn't have even thought of that, but it makes so much sense. And that's, yeah, absolutely. Because people always say, oh, I don't have time to eat healthy. Okay, well, let's map out when you could get the food at least to eat healthy. And if you can't go to the food store, I mean, good God, you can have anything delivered now within hours. So a lot of times we'll sit down and, and we'll use our time together to write up one list on Instacart or whatever, you know, delivery service they use. And it's in there. And every Monday at such and such time, they go on and they order it. And so at least that part is done. So do you find once you get clients to order food from the grocery store and to find time to start to move that then you have to show them like actually what to do with the food they bought? They do. I will send them, you know, I will send them easy recipes. I, a lot of them, you know, it seems so simple, but I think that in our culture, we really haven't learned what is healthy. I mean, I work with extremely educated people that have come to me and said, like, I'm actually like embarrassed to tell you. I read about sugars or whatever. I have no idea what that even means. Like, okay. what is added sugar? You know, and, and you know, they'll say that all the time. Like, you know, people, like I said, like very educated people in big jobs that are like, I really had no idea until I went to the doctor and they told me I'm pre-diabetic that I should be eating, you know, 28 grams of sugar a day and I'm eating 72. Like they, so we spend time just kind of looking at labels or saying, Yogurt, that's, that's, that seems healthy. It's not if there's 30 grams of added sugar, like let's talk about it. And it's such a good dialogue and it's, it opens up such a world for people, you know, that they had really had no idea. And it's such a quick fix. So if you were working with a client and you know they needed to start moving, but more importantly, they, you needed to get them nutritionally literate. Would that be your first priority if nutrition is 90% of it to get them literate in nutrition and food prep? It's like maybe priority number one is to get them that literacy. Um, and even if they can only move for 10 minutes a day, get them moving that 10 minutes, but focus, you know, most closely on like this, what I call nutritional literacy, because you're right, it, you know, people don't ever read labels. They don't, and they just don't know. And a lot of times people, you just, you just, you don't know what you don't know is so true. You don't. And yeah. So I, always, in fact, I, I got off with a new client consult just before you and I got on today on the podcast. And this is what we went through. And I said, for the next week, your homework until I meet with you and, and get you on the books here, you know, I'm, I'm booked right now. I said, in a few weeks I'll have openings. 
And when I do, the only thing I want you to do until then is walk 10, 15 minutes, five days a week, but I want you to write your food because I don't have a clue how you're eating, what you're eating more than just what you're telling me. I want you to write down your food because that is so eye-opening to people, especially alcohol. You know, people really don't realize with, with alcohol, how many, not just calories you're adding on, but how much sugar you're adding on, how you're messing with your blood sugar throughout the night, you know, how you're affecting your brain. So I have them write it. That is the number one thing is like, write it. And the other thing that we talk about too, and we use that time is, you know, a lot of people have a lot of shame around food, a, a lot of shame just in general, where their, their thoughts around health and exercise, they're stressed out. They, you know, all different things come with that. And I try to be that sounding board for that. Can you expand on shame, what you mean by they have shame around these things? Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's, you know, it's men and women too. Um, it's, it's not really gender specific, but that they, a lot of times people grew up in households that were, you know, one way or the other, like a lot of times parents were incredibly harsh on their kids, especially the, the girls about eating, about being thin. Um, you know, one of my clients, she's from Hungary and she explained to me that in her culture, tall, thin, you know, women, that was it. Like there was no other option for body type. And she grew up in a household that was incredibly harsh on her about eating, about being thin, about looking a certain way. And that's hard to break out of. And a lot of times people go the opposite route. They will closet eat, not even people who are growing up or, you know, bulimic, but they will, men and women, they are secretly eating. And you know, eating crap in the car, eating stuff when the spouse goes out or kids go out. And I, you know, over time, we developed such a good relationship that they share that with me and, and we work on that. And they will text me or email me and say, Megan, like, I'm really struggling with this food. Or I had a really rough day at work. And my go-to is to do nothing, eat, or, or not do the exercise plan that we had because now I'm so stressed out. So we work on just that whole emotional piece of help, not just eating or the, you know, the exercise, but this emotional piece, this what kind of, how do we think about health? How do we think about eating, about exercise, about what we should look like? You know, 16 or 20 years ago now, I guess, you left a high pressured job as a litigator to make this change. But it sounds like you have a fair amount of clients who have high stress professions. And are you saying that those folks, even though they're high stress and high demanding, that they can pragmatically figure out how to integrate this into their lifestyle so that they will, you know, function better? Absolutely, without a doubt. I see it all the time. Um, I, you know, I've worked with some clients 10, 12, 15 years, and seeing their progress from where they started to now, even clients who I just started with a year, their progress from where they started to where they are now is just so amazing. Um, you know, I will say it is way, it is way more joyous for me to show up to them than when I was a lawyer showing up for clients. And I mean, people are much happier to see me because they're excited to share, you know, their goals. I've, I've gone to doctors with clients. They've said, would you, you know, can, can we use a session? And you, we have a doctor's appointment. Like we, this, you know, would you come with me? Like, I want you to be there. I, so seeing that is incredible. And I will tell you that, like, you know, you know, I work with a lot of people at a lot of tech companies. They're very, I mean, talk about anxious and stressed and on the go. And 
you know, a lot of them came from a place where they were drinking a ton, just drinking at work events, drinking at home, just that's a way of life is kind of settling in from the night and eating bad. And they have, I've seen such amazing transformation with that. It's just incredible. Yes, when you realize what you can change and start with small changes health-wise in the most stressful, crazy job, it doesn't matter. You can make those changes and come out so much better on the other end of it. I think you hit on a great thing. Um, and this is something I learned about a year and a half ago when I was fighting some weight issues and I went to an endocrinologist and, you know, cause I'd had some thyroid issues, but we got adjusted, but the weight wasn't coming up. And she said, well, it's not a hormone issue. It's an overconsumption issue. And she happened to ask what I ate like the day after the 4th of July. So that was a little unfair. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can't ask that. But then I proudly told her that, you know, I, I don't drink soda and I switched from beer to espresso martinis. And she's like, oh, so you went from beer to like even more sugar. And she said, look, embrace the Mediterranean style of eating. It's not a diet. It's a way of eating. You're, you need more protein and quit drinking. You know, and let, you know, just stop, cut out the alcohol. And that by itself will have a huge impact. And so, you know, I, I said, okay, I, you know, I never really, I, I did it to be social. I never really thought about it, but then I really never thought about, well, what's life going to be like without it? And then I just stopped and I'm like, all of a sudden I had more energy I had more money in my pocket. Um, and now like if I have, if I indulge once in a while, I can actually feel like the me metabolic changes, just how the body reacts to like the visceral reaction to it. And realizing that a lot of people, until they cut that out, they're sort of like in this high state of metabolic agitation, is what I call it. It's, it, and it really is something that, again, you don't realize until something like your situation where you cut that out or cut that down significantly. And then you really realize, whoa, this was, number one, I feel so different, but this, you know, has become a problem. And when you listen to, I highly recommend I, for all my clients, I, I highly recommend that everyone listen to the Andrew Huberman podcast on alcohol. Because you will never, you will never want to drink the way you're drinking again, if you're drinking a lot. Um, it's, it's just, you know, he, he's brilliant. His podcasts are very interesting. And it's just amazing, though, what alcohol does to your body and not just your liver, because that's something we all think of, right? But something that most people don't realize it's, it's a very high risk for colon cancer for men, especially is alcohol, you know, it, and it damages your brain long term. So and I'm talking like, you know, several drinks a week, not being an alcoholic, but like drinking, you know, seven to 14. In moderation. Yeah. And, and so many people don't realize that. And then on top of that, the weight gain, right? I mean, you're, you're raising your sugar levels, you're adding on, packing on pounds. So really cutting out alcohol, cutting down alcohol a lot is, is so key. Just for our, our listeners' education, the Huberman podcast is uh, a really wonky, but very informative podcast on all sorts of health and lifestyle issues. Andrew Huberman is actually a neuroscientist He's an associate professor of neurobiology at Stanford. So he's a pretty, he's a pretty highly intelligent guy. And, and um, his podcast on what alcohol does to your body, even moderate consumption is, um, it's jarring actually. It, it, it really is jarring. I actually listened to that. It doesn't sound, 
it's very science-based. So it doesn't sound super exciting to do on a run, but I was training for a marathon. I needed something long to listen to. And it's, it's over an hour and a half. And I started listening to it. And I'll tell you what, I, I mean, truly, when you listen and, and really digest what he is saying and telling you what it does to your body long-term, it's, it's, it's eye-opening for people. I, I, I really recommend it to all my clients who you know, are drinking two, three, four drinks a night to unwind. Well, it's been actually really interesting to watch um, as I as I participated in the dialogue on mental wellness in the legal profession and followed the trade press and things about firms that are actually starting to have alcohol-free events and um, the, the pushback against the culture of alcohol being sort of a, a mainstay of events. And, and it's encouraging, but it's also discouraging seeing how, how regularly based on the latest ALM survey, how regularly regularly people are still consuming alcohol on a daily basis. And and, yeah. you know. and it is daily. And, and, you know, I think a lot of it is, I always ask people, you know, we always talk through that when they first come to me, it's like, what is it? When are you doing that? Is it, is it your way to, a lot of times it's a way to cut work and then go into the night. Or if they're working all night too, it's a way to, cut work, go into the night for a little bit, and then ease back into, into work again. And it, it can become at home just in your own house, two, three, four drinks, which, you know, over time that week really adds up. So we always try to figure out together, like, why am I drinking so much? What, where, what is it? And how can I make that switch? And I always say like baby steps, I'm going to tell you not to drink anymore, but like, let's start slimming that down. Let's start eventually cutting out Monday through Thursday. Let's put in seltzer if you're drinking wine. Let's let's figure out a way you could still enjoy an experience but not have all the alcohol. So we get back to where we started where nutrition is 90% of it. Just for the, the, the benefit of our listeners, what's the caloric ramifications of three or four drinks a night? If you're drinking, let's say you're having a five ounce glass of wine per night and you're having three of those, you're talking, you could be consuming three, and more than that, 3,500 to 4,500 calories and numerous grams of added sugar, because remember, regular sugar is just fruits, vegetables, and dairy. Wine does not fall into that category. So grams upon grams of added sugar and, you know, three, four, five, six thousand calories extra a week. So you could actually be adding on the equivalent of like three days worth of total calories on top of what you already consume just from the added, you know, calories from, from, from alcohol. Absolutely. I mean, take away the other health, you know, the other health issues it's going to cause long-term just calorie wise. Absolutely. And I've worked with people where I say, we need to clean up your food and you need to work out more. But for now, I want you to cut out alcohol Monday through Thursday. You can have some drinks on the weekends and I guarantee you, you will lose tons of weight just by doing that. And it's never failed. Like people who are drinking all those nights during the week and cut it out, they always lose weight. Always. Because it's just simple math. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's, that's not only a great point about one thing you can do that is pretty, pretty like, it's not complicated, right? It's just stopping one thing or cutting down on one thing and maybe even doing it sort of in tranches, but nevertheless, that's one big thing that can be a prime driver, but yet it's not a, it's not a giant lift to do it. It's not like 
having, you know, you need to get in the gym an hour or you need to, you know, stop eating, you know, any carbohydrates. It's like just cut down on your alcohol consumption as a, as a way of getting launched. And you're going to see some immediate, fairly quick benefits. And then let's focus on incrementally doing other things. And I, I think that's what I like so much about your message and what I think is so important for lawyers who are in a state of um, mental and in, in a mental health siege if you look at the, the the latest american law media survey it hasn't gotten any better in the four years they've done it is do little things yeah do little things that's you know because you become overwhelmed when you try to change too much but doing little things and you know getting mental health and emotional health under control and not being afraid to talk about it. And so often in, in the legal profession, we are, you know, for years. And they keep saying, we're gonna put health first and the lawyers are helping you. Know, you've, you have bar associations across the country saying we're gonna make health a priority, but you really don't see that enough in law firms and in the corporate world in general, but we need to because it's so important and there is there should be no stigma to it. And there still is. And we need to put that out there. It's like, we need, we need everybody who works here to be healthy. I completely agree. So before we go, you know, I want to touch on your other, um, your, your company, FitGo, because a lot of people who travel a lot talk about how hard it is. And you've come up with a solution for that. And I'd like you to just share what you've done and what you've put together and also how, um, our viewers might find you because I think it's a really, um, again, it's, it's, it's not a hard thing because it doesn't take a lot of time to pack it and it doesn't take a lot of time to use it. And it's pretty simple. And I'd like you to share a little bit about what FitGo is and what we design. Yes. FitGo is my uh, pandemic baby. So FitGo came about, it's a uh, fitness bag. It's a lightweight bag that has everything you need for a full body workout. I designed that um, with my partner during COVID because people would always come to me even prior to the pandemic and say, what can I do when I travel? What am I going to do? You know, the hotel gyms are crappy. They're often broken equipment or just junky stuff. What can I do? Or what can I do in the hotel room? Or what can I do when I'm at a park with my kids? And during COVID, it really gave me the opportunity to say, there's no gym. Like everything is closed and my clients and everybody else needs something to work out at home. So I designed FitGo Bag. It's, it's www.fitgobag.com. And it's a bag that contains loop bands, exercise slider discs, a booty band, a cloth band that's used for legs and arms, and resistance tubing with handles. It's all in this bag. It's $45. And it comes with free YouTube workouts that you could do anywhere from eight to 22 minutes, I think is our longest workout. And you throw it right in your travel bag. And I am someone who never packs a bag. Um, you know, my children laugh at me with that. Every vacation we go on, we do not ever check bags. We carry on. It fits right in the carry on. It's two pounds. So do you ever um, sort of look back and say, ironically, you developed something for travel for a time when people couldn't travel? That's what was so funny is I said, you know, we're going to do this travel bag more at the time. It was for people at home. And then people started saying to me as time went on, you know, well, what can I do when I travel? Thank God travels come back. And, you know, and people were using their beach houses. Everybody was living at the beach during COVID. Well, there's still no gyms. 
So what can, you know, or their second homes in the mountains, what am I going to use? So that's kind of where that, that all came from. And, and I, I said, gosh, you know, it, sh it shouldn't have taken the pandemic for me to figure out I needed to design this sort of thing. Um, but now they use it. People, I see people, you know, using my bags, you know, at playgrounds, they throw it over the equipment and their kids are little and they're playing, but they don't want to not work out. So they bring it. That's awesome. Megan, thank you so much for being so generous uh, with your time today. It's been a wonderful discussion. Can you let our um, listeners know where they can find you? Your social yeah, so it's www.mlcfitness, all one word, dot com. And then FitGo Bags are at www.fitgobags.com. And for you um, lawyers who only look at LinkedIn, Megan is on LinkedIn. She's a visible presence with lots of good posts. And um, I think you'll find the, the, the stuff she posts and the things she has to say really interesting and really valuable. I certainly have. Um, thanks again for, 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 for being my guest and for appearing on, I think, episode 43 of this podcast and for sharing so much. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.